Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. You should celebrate yourself every day. But some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hello, dear listener, and welcome back to Owning It, the Anxiety Podcast with me, your host and author, Caroline Foran. I am dying to share this episode with you. I do apologize for being a week late. I would like to say I planned and timed um, a week break because it was Halloween and the midterm break happening. But the truth is the week just got away on me. I had no childcare. We were away with my family. I didn't even get to go to the toilet by myself, let alone sit down and do any work. So I am late and I do apologize, but I hope this episode will be worth having waited for. Finally, I'm, I've been promising this for a long time on Instagram in particular, but I'm doing a deep dive, a revisit, a revisited deep dive, if you will, into the world of anti-anxiety medication. How does it work? What happens in our brain and body when we take medication? How do we know when we might need to take medication? How do we know if it's working for us? How do we know if it's not working for us? What about coming off it? Do we have to come off it if it's working for us? Are we coming off it because we feel like better about not being on something? What are the side effects? What is the difference between short-term anxiety medication, really very short-term relief versus more long-term um, anti-anxiety treatment? Why do we take antidepressants when we are treating anxiety? Uh, the nuts and bolts and the granular details around medication for anxiety. I did touch on this subject before in my very first season, but it was really time uh, to go back there and answer your questions more specifically and talk a bit about my own experience since that first episode. So I hope you find this episode helpful and informative and thank you so much for being here. Laura Dowling, thank you so much for joining me on Owning It, the Anxiety Podcast. It is a pleasure to have you and and thank you for being so um, understanding about rearranging yesterday. It always, it happens every now and then where I completely just bollocks up a a recording. Um, But today we're going to talk about medication. So I in my first season, like this is my 12th, in my one of my very first episodes was 
one on medication with a psychiatrist and it's it was so long ago and I've had so many requests since then to go back and just do a refresh um because I get a lot of questions all the time about medication um so I thought who better to talk to about this than your lovely self so before we get into it can you just tell my listeners um a little bit of of your background and, and what you do so I am a professional drug dealer. <laughs> uh, so I'm a pharmacist. I am a pharmacist since 2020, 2003. Yeah, so like tw- over 20 years. Um, and basically a pharmacist is someone who has been trained in medicines, drugs, the what they do in the body, how they work, um, illnesses that they that they helped treat and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, very much um, a health orientated profession where we're continuously dispensing and, and um, giving out drugs to people and giving them advice on their drugs. And then also I'm on Instagram as fabulous pharmacist because I saw that there was kind of like a dearth of information there that needed to be addressed in terms of like simple treatments for medicine for 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 simple healthcare issues and you know just basic information about medicines because what I found in my practice was that people didn't really understand what their medicines were doing how they were working and then also they just had all these like little queries like even queries about thrush they didn't know how to treat it and stuff so that's how my fabulous pharmacist Instagram kind of started where I was just putting up unbiased information about health and wellness and medicines online so people could really kind of digest it in little bite-sized nuggets and then I also have a nutritional supplement business, my own uh, Fabu Wellness, which is, um, we have six SKUs currently, but it's basically uh, really tailored um, supplements for people's um, specific needs. So you are like on the front lines of seeing how many prescriptions are coming through for anti-anxiety or antidepressant um medication you you can see have you have you noticed that that has been on the rise it it has been on the rise and there's certainly a lot of anxiety on the rise since the pandemic but there was anxiety was always there just to be to be clear i left the dispensary in may 2022 in order to launch my nutritional supplement business so i haven't been working in the dispensary since then but i'm very much a part of a lot of pharmacist working groups and in my ears to the ground and what's going on within the profession and, and with our patients and customers on the ground too but certainly anxiety depression it, you know it's it's a huge huge topic there's a, a a lot of people that have issues with their mental illness be it anxiety depression or other psychiatric illnesses and like it is great that we have medicines to try and help but there are some cases that medicines don't treat so there are, and you know we do always recommend that people would have cognitive behavioral therapy counseling as well you know that's kind of first line for anxiety um along them with medication if if the doctor deems it necessary i'm just curious when you were still um working in the pharmacy um and you know meeting people day to day did you did you pick up on a real um reticence or kind of a, that element of shame that people seem to, I can, I can see it from my Instagram messages and even, you know, I'm still on medication and I'll talk to you about that and I haven't come off it. But when I go to the pharmacy to pick it up, I, I don't just say, I'll just have my batch of Prozac. I say, Oh, can I just, can I just get um just my usual prescription? I, for some reason, yeah. I still, even, even though I have these conversations all the time, and even though I tell the entire world of Instagram that yes, I'm on medication and it was one of the best things I ever did for me at the time. Um, there's still 
I think a shame around it. And, and someone even messaged me saying, I'm actually so riddled with anxiety about even asking my doctor about medication. Like the, the one person you should feel so safe to say, listen, is this something I should consider? What are my options? There's an anxiety, there's a barrier even there. Yeah, it's terrible, isn't it? It's that whole mental illness issue. People think that if they're, if they have a mental issue, they're somehow damaged. But if their arm is broken, it's okay to go and get that fixed. It's it's getting over that. Now, I think in Ireland, we're a little bit better. Like we were absolutely desperate there. Like we were desperate. We're talking more about it. I think that social media has allowed people to be really able to express themselves and to see that there's many other people like them in the world and that it's not you know, it's not anything to be ashamed of, but there still is that shame. Like, you know, I would have found that when people come in to me for their first prescription for an anti-anxiety or an antidepressant medication, one of the first questions that they ask me is, how long do I have to be on this for? I don't want to be on this for long. Like, can I just go on it for a little while and then come off it? And the issue there is, is that, you know, obviously it takes time to build up in the system for it to begin to work. It can take between two and six weeks for it to work for anxiety and then longer for depression. And then once you're on it, you know, it, it, it it's like you have to kind of, it, it takes time for someone to actually feel like themselves again. And then they can't just come off it. They need to be on it stable for a certain amount of time. And then when they come off it, they need to come off it very slowly. Gone are the days of just coming off your meds. You need to really reduce down slowly. Otherwise you can get awful rebound anxiety coming off them too quickly. And, you know, I would even say like, take as long as six months to come off them like you I mean reducing down considerably and actually there was a study done recently that I um, and I was talking about it online myself and it was suggesting that you know we really have done people a disservice by reducing them off their medicines too quickly and as a result then they can get actual they can get side effect withdrawals from coming off their medications which mimic anxiety in the first instance um, mimic depression and then the doctor's wondering, is this another mental illness that we haven't diagnosed or is this the the drugs and, and, and the withdrawal of the drugs? So what they're suggesting is, is people should be coming off so slowly that they should be actually, there should be liquid preparations of these drugs so we can get down to like one milligram a day type strength. So when you can think of it, if you're on 20 milligrams of escitalopram, so you can reduce that down to five, there's a five milligrams of escitalopram. But how can you get a one milligram of escitalopram out of a five, that teeny tiny tablet? So I have, you know, done, I've gone, got people on withdrawal, like withdraw, withdrawing down off medication. But once you get to five milligrams, you can barely even quarter that and be sure and, and ensure that someone's going to get the right amount. So what this study was suggesting is that we actually show our patients how to put a medicine like escitalopram or sertraline in this instance it was into liquid like, so they put five, five, um, just say it was 50 milligrams of sertraline into uh, 100 milligrams, 100 mils of water. Make sure that that's well dispersed. And then you take out the amount that you need to allow for the fact that you might need to be reducing down from to 10 milligrams to nine, eight, seven, six, five, three, two, one over a period of time. But the thing about it is, is that's off license prescribing because the license for the drug is only for you take the 50 milligrams a day or you can half it and take, you know, 25 so it's 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 just an in it's just interesting. I think because of because we're kind of bound by due diligence to license preparations, etc., it can be difficult, and the patient can miss out in that in that instance. But it wouldn't it be wonderful if patients were shown how to, you know, mix their own tablet? Now, obviously, it would have to be discarded every day because you couldn't um, 
it wouldn't be stable to leave overnight and just take the the one mil every day out of that particular batch. Um, but I do think that there's definitely much more that we can do in the field of psychiatry for people to be able to help themselves come down off it really slowly the way they should. And like, you know, when you consider it, it's like, you know, when you're on something that's changing your brain chemistry, to come off it suddenly, like even to come off it, you know, over a period of a month, say, where you're going down to, you're reducing down to half a dose for a week, then a quarter of a dose, then one every three days, you know, then every third day. That's the way like I used to do it with people in the pharmacy to get to try and get them off when they find it very difficult to come off it. But even at that, if you're giving it to them Monday, Wednesday, Friday, they're missing out Tuesday, Thursday, because they're, you know, it, it only has a half-life of a certain amount. It's not going to last that long in the body. So I think there's so much more work that we can do with people. Before we get into how it works, let's assume someone has really bad anxiety and they go on medication and it's working, whatever one it is, it's working really well for them. Why is there such a rush to come off it anyway? Is that is there a medical reason why it's good to come off it? Or is that just, again, being fueled by the I'd rather not be seen, to be honest? Because I, full disclosure, I have I went on medication. I went on Effexor first when this was 2000 and uh I think it was 2015 by the time I had been very, very ill from 2014, uh, like springtime on. And by I was at the time thought going on medication meant I was, you know, going to be locked up in a straight jacket. That's my that's my, was how I thought about it. By the time I went on Effexor, um, it the first I was on it for a couple of months and I was like, I feel rubbish. I don't feel I don't feel any better. I didn't necessarily feel any worse. So I went back to my doctor. They had just you know, they had just picked Effexor out of a list. So I didn't know anything about it. I don't know that they were like, oh, this one is good for you because of this. It was a bit of trial and error. Then I switched to Prozac and I felt so much worse before I felt better. But I had read up and knew that it can get a lot worse as it, as you're adjusting. And then eventually the fog started to lift. And it was very much just one part of everything I've done to, to get to where I am now. Like it was it by no means a quick fix and by no means the only thing I had to do. And I felt good on it. I was like, I don't want to, I don't want to rush off this. Why would I want to change what's working for me? And then as life went on, you know, my husband would kind of say, oh, like, would you think about coming off it? And and I felt, I honestly felt a bit of pressure to come off it just to, again, fit in with what society thinks is, is, is more acceptable to, or just to see how you can cope without it. And invariably things kept popping up where I, I felt it wouldn't be a good time. And then, you know, I had, I was pregnant and they said, oh, it's definitely the worst thing you could do in my case was to come off it because I was dealing with a lot more anxiety. And that's something I want to ask you about as well. Um, And then when, after I had the baby, God, I definitely wouldn't want to come off it. Then I was in bits and then, you know, going through just different things. And to this, to this day, I still just take my two little Prozac tablets every day. And like, is there a problem in staying on something that's working for you? I think people want to come off it for various reasons. It's the some people just don't like the idea of taking drugs every day for the rest of their lives. And that's understandable. And other people feel, look, you know, I'd love to see how I get on without these. I feel back to my old self and I just want to 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 try and see. And then others like yourself are like, this has changed my life immeasurably. There is absolutely no way I'm coming off it. And I can completely get all three. I understand, you know, the different nuances of people. But I'm very much along the lines of if something is working for you and if you feel well and happy and your quality of life is good and you can wake up in the morning and not have that black cloud. Were you on it for depression, Caroline? No, really severe anxiety. Okay. Um, 
and you don't have that severe anxiety, which can lead to depression as well, as well obviously. Well, I was, yeah, I was diagnosed as depressed as part of it when I was going to therapy. Like I did, you know, so much therapy that it, medication was sort of the last ditch attempt to see if something would help. And I really wish, I actually wish in retrospect, I had considered it sooner, even even a more short term medication like a Xanax um, to just help with, with the intensity of the anxiety. But I was I had such a belief of it being proof that I was so broken if I went there you know oh my god that just makes me so sad like honestly and you know I think we've so much to deal with these days like we really do like life is so busy and and busy lives shouldn't be a reason to go on medication and I'm absolutely not going like oh everyone with a busy life should be on medication but goodness me you know if you have something that's helping you through the day and that you're you know you're a happier person you're not living with that chronic anxiety like it is an illness it's not this like arbitrary thing that we just can't put our finger on and because it's in our brain and because you are a unique person Caroline and there's no one like you in the world you know they can't do a brain scan and see like oh you know what's going on oh, actually it's this bit this bit this bit you know like, like they can with a broken arm or a broken leg or they can with heart failure you know like it's not a one-size-fits-all and like what you said I think some people struggle so hard with even thinking that they need to go to the doctor or that, you know, I'm letting myself down by taking medication. And it's an ego thing too. It's like, if I take a medication that's helping with a psychiatric disorder or a mental illness, I'm somehow less than, or I'm somehow weak. And we just need to get over that. But like what you said, I think that if somebody is on something and it's helping them, then that they, they should stay on it unless they're, you know, they've had this open discussion with their doctor. They're having side effects that they may that may not suit them. You know, there are side effects to taking antidepressants, um, such as the tummy upset and all that. And but but there can be other side effects that can affect relationships, such as um sexual dysfunction, etc. Now, some people have that and some people don't. But I think once people are aware of the side effects, they can look out for them and they they can try to manage them. But certainly if you're getting on well with it and you don't want to come off it, I can't see the reason why you should come off it. But then you have other people that are like, look, I only needed it for this period in time because some anxiety and some depression is it's just a period of time in their life. It might be in response to grief. It might be in response to a traumatic experience. It might be in response to like past trauma that they're working through and they need to be on this for a certain amount of time. Um, and then others, it's like, it's it's something that they have to live with. Like, did you have anxiety as a young child? Was it always there brewing? Yes, I, I've been anxious for as long as I can remember, but I never, I we never described it as that. And it was, it was always like IBS and tummy issues. And she just has, she just has a nervous tummy. And, you know, my teen years were just woeful. I was just masking it, trying to, trying to get through but riddled with anxiety and by the time even though it was something like like you say sometimes it's circumstance for people and you can really put your finger on it and it really makes sense okay I'm anxious because of this and yeah of course of course that would make you feel that way for me even though I had sort of sorted out the lifestyle things like so it was when I moved to a job that just didn't sit with me that it was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back but it wasn't the only reason I started to feel anxiety it just pushed me into the depths of it but for me, I really felt like no matter what I did, I was I was so aware of what was going on. I was doing all the right things. I just felt that chemically my head was just below water and I I really needed something that would just bring me up. I felt like I must have some sort of and maybe always have had some sort of chemical imbalance. And maybe that maybe that was because of various things in life that happened that your brain just then like the way I describe it is when my anxiety got so bad in 2014, 
by the time I sort of realized what was going on, I couldn't just, well, I did quit the job, but I couldn't just quit it. And then my body would just catch up. I had done, it had taken so long for all those chemicals to get to that point of being, and, and that those stress hormones and those anxiety hormones being in my body, it wasn't something I was going to be able to switch off just because I made the lifestyle change. So for me, I felt like I had such, and my, my symptoms of anxiety were so physical. Um, so while it might've been partly circumstance, partly to do with things growing up, it became physiological for me. And I, and I guess they do end up becoming one and the same, right? A hundred percent. There's the physical symptoms, there's psychological symptoms. And then there's also, and I think that we really need to remember that. And I know that there's a lot of ADHD talk nowadays as well. Like there's lots of people, particularly ladies, like our age, kind of, you know, realizing that they've been living with ADHD all their lives, but, you know, they never really knew. They just thought that was just the way their brain was. But with anxiety and depression too, you know, people with 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 underlying anxiety or depression or ADHD or, you know, pick pick a psychiatric illness of your choice or, you know, not that ADHD is actually a neurodevelopmental disorder. It's not a mental health disorder. But anyway, we're, we're um, I'm getting into the weeds there. But you, you, you could have young kids in their teens and they will experiment with drugs because just say, you know, you go out drinking with your friends and you get really relaxed because you've had a drink of alcohol. And that is then you're like, oh, actually, my mind is actually calm now. I feel great. And then you start self-medicating. That is actually what happens. And that is why, you know, I would always be talking about the fact that we, you know, the the mental health services in this country, in Ireland, aren't up to scratch. And it's really unfortunate because what we have is we have a group of children and there's thousands and thousands and thousands of them that would have any amount of issues. And if they were, if inter, if there was intervention when they were children or like young teens, late early teens, they could they could really be helped. Whereas once they're let go with their anxiety, their depression, their ADHD, and they start self-medicating first with alcohol, then with cannabis, then with God knows what, because they're literally, they have nothing to calm their mind and that's what makes them feel better. And then that gets them into a spiral of drug abuse, of making poor decisions. Some will end up in jail and um, some will end up just, you know, not having the lives that they could have done because their mental health wasn't minded from the start. So I love the fact that you have this podcast that you're talking about it and that we are we're we're talking about it more. And I and I know some people think like, oh God, teenagers nowadays are like, oh my God, I'm anxious. And they just say it out loud. But isn't it good that they can voice the fact that they feel discomfort in some way? They may be using the term anxiety, but like, so what? Whatever. And and then they can talk about it. Yeah. And then we can kind of, we're a step, because you probably didn't even talk about how you felt as a young as a young teen, did you? Oh, no, absolutely not. There was, I see, I didn't even understand it myself. So I couldn't even articulate it. Um, it wasn't until I felt, it was in my mid-20s when it got so bad that I felt the only way I could begin to put one foot in front of the other was to say hands up I'm actually not okay I'm struggling because I had withdrawn so like I wasn't on social media at the time was like bikini photos on the beach and you know everything working out so well it just that was what the space was for at the time so I had to really carve out um that space to say and I, I couldn't get over the amount of people who were like oh my god me too oh my god me too it was a it was a while again before I felt as comfortable as I am now to talk about medication because that kind of felt like I said like a stamp on my head saying oh it isn't just a bit of stress she really is like what I felt like was a fucking whack job um which I know is such a damaging way to think but so we've we've talked about the the whole kind of um 
story that surrounds medication. I'd, I really want to get into the nitty gritty. So we're, we're kind of interchanging the words de- depression and anxiety there. And it might be confusing to people that they get put on an antidepressant. Like for me, Prozac, I would have associated with like something I see in the movies for really depressed people. And here I was being given it for my anxiety. What, how do, how do they work and why do we get antidepressants for, for anxiety? And are they the same? So drugs, you know, you, you drugs work in many different ways. So because they bind to receptors in our brain, they're not just binding to a receptor that's causing depression or it's it's really nuanced. So a drug can have many different functions, okay? But um, what anxiety is, it's that stress response, isn't it? To uh, something that you are worried might happen in the future or that's happening now to you. And it's this like kind of flight or flight, fright mode. Flight or fright. I always mix those. Fight or flight. <laughs> Fight or flight. Fight or flight. Um, so, so what the medication does is it alters the level of neurotransmitters in your brain. So there's the SNRIs, which is the selective. So there's the SSRIs, which is the selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. So serotonin is a neurotransmitter in your brain and it is released into it is released in your brain and synapses will will pick it up okay um and metabolize it but what happens when you take an ssri which is a selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors the ssri inhibits the reuptake of it so it allows for there to be more it more active in the brain okay and then this the snris are the the serotonin and norepinephrine reuptake inhibitors so they're they're two trans, neurotransmitters that they work on so they help to re- to prevent the reuptake of the serotonin and the norepinephrine. And basically, they're just, to cut a long story short, they're, the neurotransmitters are, just say, your happy hormones in your body. They help to make you feel, or they, these happy chemicals in your body that just help to make your brain feel happy and well. And when there's a reduction in them, um, it can lead to anxiety and depression. But, you know, drugs aren't the be all and the end all either. And you did touch on this. Like there is this there, there's this number that we use in science and in medicine. It's called numbers to treat. And that means the number of people that it needs to treat in order to get a positive outcome. And the the numbers needed to treat for anxiety and depression is anywhere between five and seven. So that means that we if we have like seven people. And we treat them all with a serotonin, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor. One person will benefit from it. So not everyone is going to benefit from a medication. And mm-hmm. that's really important that people know that it isn't a one stop shop. And I know that there's I've been I was talking to researchers in Trinity that were trying to actually do like a really um, customized antidepressant therapy for people. And they were working on this and, you know, trying to find different drugs because, we're, as I said, we're all so different. And, we, all, you know, even with HRT, which is the buzzword at the minute, you know, a 25 milligram pa- microgram patch might do me fantastic, but you might be off your rocker on it. And, you know, you need more or you need less. So it's really important that people do understand that in some ways in the beginning of therapy, they can be a little bit of a guinea pig for themselves and a drug might work for you and you'd be brilliant on it and have very relatively few side effects. Whereas for someone else, it may not work at all and they may feel miserable and they may need to change. Just like the pill as well, isn't the pill like that for some ladies too? So we need to be open-minded and kind of fully aware of the fact that this isn't the be-all and the end-all. This is something that we're going to have in our toolkit to try and help us. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Let's assume that someone has you know, they're not just rushing to medication. They've talked to their doctor and they've talked to whoever they trust. And they say, look, I've, I've, you know, I've done as much as I can. And I actually still, I really believe now I need the help of something else. Let's say that that's the point that they're at. And then we hear all these names, sertraline, Prozac, Effexor. That's just, I mean, when you're already anxious and overwhelmed as is, is the doctor just picking from a list or just is again, it's just trial and error because they have algorithms like they they have first line therapy second line therapy third line therapy so they start with the first line therapy which would be like your basic escitalopram which is the one that's kind of given out most of the time nowadays um and they just try them on that and then you may not you know you may they they may try you on 10 milligrams of that initially and you'll be like doc you know after six weeks i'm actually not feeling very much better and they might increase you and then that might do you but then it may not, but it's only after a couple of months that you'll know whether or not it's working. You said yourself, you felt miserable on it initially and then the, the fog kind of lifted. So you have to give yourself the time and be kind to yourself and talk to people around you. It shouldn't be a secret from your family. You should be, you know, they're going to love you anyway. Um, and you tell them that you're on this, that you're trying it out and let them be that crutch for you too. But um, yeah, there's like first line therapy. And then if you don't get on well with those drugs, it'll be second line. Like there's older antidepressants that were, you know, they were back in the 1950s, 1960s, all that we had. But psychiatric medication has come such a long way um, in so many years. When I say that, though, the drugs that are out nowadays, like they've been out for for a relatively long time. Like there isn't anything amazingly new now that hasn't been out for, for quite some time. Okay. Um, but it has come on leaps and bounds compared to, say, people were just like blanket given amitriptyline, which caused all kinds of side effects, you know. Okay. How long should they give it before they say this is not working for me? Because like I say, for me, I knew I knew that I think and correct me if I'm wrong, but because it, you say it prevents that reuptake of this of the serotonin, it's almost like while it's working, it has to like starve your brain and then it overproduces it. And then so you feel well, I felt worse before I felt better. Is that is that true? No, because it prevents the reuptake. So you just have more serotonin in your brain working away as a result of that. But it can be a funny feeling if you've had 
if you haven't had enough serotonin, then you suddenly do have some. So it's an adjustment for your brain to get used to that too. Okay. Adjustment for your body. Um, so it's not that it, the medication itself doesn't starve anything like that. If anything, maybe if you have had low serotonin levels, your 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 brain has just been starved for so long and then it's like oh my goodness what is this i don't know what how to deal this? with it. that's so that that might be the, the the reason but like we you know there there is this school of thought that we don't whereas we know what the drug does and we think that we know what it does sometimes we don't really know what it does but we know that it works so it's that can be the case too you mentioned that only one in seven people it will work for does that mean that the other six people are screwed or is it a matter of those people finding a different medication that will work for them they 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 will probably over the course of of months try be able to try and find a medication or a therapy that works for them okay and you know some people might just say for instance like your your anxiety level is sky high caroline like it's it's a just say i don't know 10 out of 10 right you might take a medication that brings it down to five out of 10, but like that's having your anxiety. So that's considerable for you. But then you might have someone else that brings it down to two out of 10. So it's about you being able to measure how it is benefiting you too and deciding yourself. And I will always recommend to people uh, to keep a diary, to keep a log of how you're feeling. Like, I mean, you don't even have to have a notebook. You can put it into your phone these days in the calendar, just like in the description, felt like this today, felt, you know, and with women as well, and I think this is really important, we are nuanced physiological beings. We have a we have a, a circadian rhythm, which is the, you know, the night and day, but we also have our, our menstrual cycle, which is our hormonal fluctuations, which can also affect our the way we feel, our mood, etc. And women will often see, you know, um a correlation between mood and their whether they're ovulating, whether they're coming up to the period, the PMS, you know, and someone that already has underlying anxiety might absolutely want to just stab their partner coming up to their PMS when they breathe beside them. Because it's, you know, and, and we need to really be cognizant of that. Now, we're talking a lot more about women's health nowadays, which is wonderful. But I think that women really have been set to one side for a long, long time of medicine, uh, in, in medicine. And now it's coming to the fore. So we can't just treat an individual for anxiety, like a man and a woman the same, yes. um, and expect the same results. And then also we can't treat two women the same and expect the same results. Because you've come to this age in your life with all your past, with all your intelligence, with all your education, um, without anything that's gone on with you. And some another woman has had a completely different experience. And we need to allow for that in the wider scope of things, which is why we need more psychotherapists, more um, psychologists to help people muddle through all this. Well, the, the kinds of medication we've been talking about are the more long-term things that take a while to build up in your body. It's more about long-term management of it. But then there's a whole other world of medication that is, I'm having a panic attack right now. What can I take to like calm this down or dampen this down right now? Can you can you explain the difference to me there? So I think you're talking about benzodiazepines, are you there? Or like yeah. Panadol as well. So well, a- I, I'm, I'm not sure the names, but whatever the difference Okay, is. so benzodiazepines were brought out in... God, I think it was like, I think the research has been done with them 30s, 40s. They were definitely brought out in the 50s. They were known as the housewife's um, medication. The housewife's, what is it? Some kind of funny term for them, the housewife's relaxant. Because basically a lot of women that were, say, I suppose, minding children at home and that was their job and that was what they were expected to do. And they were probably bored out of their minds or like just not even that, 
even just the fact that it was just expected of them that that was how they were supposed to get you know what they what they needed from life and maybe um maybe they didn't have they were like second class citizens in terms of what men were like we all know what it was like so women were um given these anti-anxiety medications because we all know how bloody difficult it is to like raise children and you know have all this and as a result then we have a lot of women nowadays like older ladies that would be on benzos and um, never able to come off them benzos are a very safe drug in terms of um it's hard to overdose on them but like combined with alcohol it's not a good idea and that's how people do actually overdose and die but it was considered to be a very safe drug because they took it um it would calm them down relatively few side effects and it's just like keep them on an even keel however really difficult to come off so it works really quickly by calming the person down but they are uh, once someone has been on them for any kind of length of time it can be very very difficult to come off them and if they do try and come off them they can get rebound anxiety so we're really kind of coming away from using them they would have been valium you know um and i see very few prescriptions for them nowadays like when i come out interestingly enough 20 years ago there would have been nothing you wouldn't have added an eyelid for like a six month supply of uh, days of pambulin in a prescription as well as a six month sedative nowadays it's like seven days 14 days they really try and just give it to people to kind of get them over a hump and then they'd be on the more longer term medicines that don't have those kind of dependency issues and withdrawals and I know that we were talking about the SSRIs there about the withdrawal you need to withdraw down slowly but the benzos are just a different kettle of fish it can be just really they're so difficult to come off and that's why like when you were saying about you know if someone's getting on well with a drug should they just stay on it particularly with the benzodiazepines, like I would have had issues with, say, older women that were in my pharmacy. And I say women, and it's not because I don't see men. I see men as well. But it's a lot of women were given these medications to kind of just get them through the day back when women didn't have as many rights, okay? Um, And I would have had their, say, their daughters maybe come in and go, oh, mum's on these. Like, I'd love her to come off them, you know? And like I'm like, your mum is 80, why would you even consider that? She's been on these for feckin' 30 or 40 years. I mean, like she may have only been in one or two a day, but it's keeping her on the even keel. Like to get some to force someone like that at that age to come off it, it's just, it's just at, at this stage, it's daft. But I think that we're we're not putting people on them as much anymore. I definitely don't see it. Like they're definitely um they're used more for very much short-term therapy and um, very much to say someone's getting over grief or they're going through a really rough patch and then the staple is the the other ones that are that are the snris ssris that are considered to be safer to be put upon put on and then much easier to come off but when i say much easier to come off i caveat that with i know nothing to come off <laughs> and just to, can you explain so you, we understand now how the um, the longer term ones work in the brain. How do the benzos work in the brain? They're like a CNS depressant. So they just give you a, cal- a feeling of calm and sedation. And, you know, sometimes it might be, make people feel sleepy and they work on the GABA receptors in the brain as well as doing those other things. That's that's actually how they work. Um, and then um, and, they, and they work very well for what they do. But, you know, short term only really is advised. Beta blockers, which I have heard mentioned, and I think I was given a prescription of them once, but I don't think I ever use them. How what how are, how are they different? 
So beta blockers, they are what they're doing is, you know, the way when someone has anxiety and they might be shaken or they might have heart palpitations, they help to 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 stop them. So, you know, a lot of people that would say do public speaking, they might just have a little bit of propranolol in their in their back pocket um, to take just before they speak. And that just means that they that, that their heart won't feel like as if it's racing out of their out of their chest and, they, you know, they won't be shaking. I know a lot of med, med students when they're doing their exams or oral exams, they would um they would take them my brother being included he, he he's a doctor he won't mind me saying it but that's what they did you know because you're when you're really nervous and you have those physical symptoms of anxiety that they can do that too so i would see a lot of prn prescriptions for those um just for people that might be they don't necessarily have anxiety all the time but before big deals their hearts are racing and there's nothing worse than thinking that you can hear your heart beating in your chest there isn't Oh, it's the worst. Okay, so a beta blocker is very short term and like in the moment that you need it if you're doing something probably performance related. Yes, exactly. Performance related or even even if you have this overwhelming feeling of your heart beating out of your chest, then they would give it to you for that as well. But it's generally not given, uh, you know, people, I, I would have seen in my in my career, very few people being on something like that long term because it's, you know, it's going to lower the blood pressure too as well when it's doing that. Okay. Is there any other kind of anti-anxiety medication I'm not mentioning here that we need to talk about? No, I think what we've discussed a lot, a lot of them, and, and I think that it's important to realize that, you know, the initial anxiety can be a precursor to longer term depression if it's not managed correctly. Mm-hmm. So you're, the thing that we were discussing from the very start about the embarrassment and the shame around going and getting help for anxiety should absolutely not be there. We need to, we are a whole person and we need to see ourselves as a whole person from the tip of our head to the bottom of our toes. And we need to look after as much of it as we can. But our brain is like the orchestra, you know, it's like, sorry, the conductor of our entire being. And if it's not well, how can we survive life and and live life to the fullest? So I'd always say to someone, you really need to, to get help if you're feeling this way. Before I was pregnant and we we knew we kind of wanted to go down that road of trying for a baby. I was very worried that I'd have to come off my medication, which at that point was working really well for me. Um, and worrying about this, you know, the anxiety that would come with being pregnant anyway and potentially postpartum, which was so much harder than I thought it would be. And I spoke to my doctor about it and she said, the one that I'm on, the medication I'm on has been proven, well, not proven, but shown time and time again to be super, super safe with pregnancy. And that was the Prozac. Um, I don't know if that's the case for all of them, but one of the questions I get asked again and again is, did you come off your medication when you were pregnant? Did you have to come off it when you're trying for a baby? So can you answer that for me? Um, so I think it's really important that women know that they can be on medication when they're pregnant and that they need to discuss this fully with their healthcare provider. There are risks to taking every drug, but there are risks, like you said, to eating a prawn sandwich. Like, you know, you need to weigh up the pros and cons. If a woman who has been on anxiety medication gets pregnant and comes off her medications, there's much there's a much bigger chance for her to experience severe anxiety in her pregnancy. So although, as I said, like there is a very, very slight risk sometimes of maybe some heart defects um, with the baby, but like this is so, so low compared to, say, 
you know, other things that could happen in a pregnancy. And I think that the pros and cons need to be weighed up. You know, there's never going to be a case where a drug company says this is totally safe in pregnancy and breastfeeding because, you know, they're opening themselves up to lawsuits there and everything like that. Um, But I think that women need to know that there are safe medications that they would generally not be recommended to, to come off their medicines. In some instances, they might be encouraged to reduce down a couple of weeks before delivery. Um, some in some instances, um, depending on the medication, but generally they can be on it right up to delivery. Um, there is some instances sometimes of babies potentially having a little bit, uh, maybe some withdrawal if they are on the med. You know, if they've been in in utero on and mum's been on the medication, and then they're born, but that can be, you know managed etc as well and then and it goes for saying as well with breastfeeding I think women sometimes think I can't take this or that when I'm breastfeeding but you know there are antidepressants and anti-anxiety medications sertraline being being one of them and that are considered to be safe in breastfeeding too so it's really important that women know where to go and get their information from and I think speaking to a pregnancy and breastfeeding expert in medicines is is super important because otherwise there is a tendency in some healthcare settings for them just to be told a blanket no because of indemnity and insurance and things like that so no like what you said your doctor was on the ball on the ball there's absolutely no way it would have been encouraged for someone like yourself to come off the medication because we don't want our mums that are you know growing the little babies inside them to be even worse than they were before they got pregnant you know and then when I had my baby, so people often ask me, you know, because you're on anti-anxiety medication, does that mean you, you just never feel it or never feel anything? I still feel anxiety, but I think the level that I'm at is, I feel like a normal person's level of, you know, my day to day, I'm here, I'm doing a little, th- people can't see this, but I'm holding my arm up to a, an arbitrary point. And then, you know, things that will happen will still pop me up and make me feel anxious. Like I absolutely do. And when I had my baby, I fell off a cliff like this is a again a whole other episode I've talked about it a lot and um, my postnatal anxiety was through the roof and it was awful and I was already on you know my two tablets a day 40 milligrams and I talked to my doctor about going another one up but I was getting afraid that like I would just end up being on like 10 tablets a day and you know what if there's nowhere else to go from there so I kind of decided I knew I read up about it I knew that what I was going through was going to self, um, it was going to re- resolve itself to a, a, a degree anyway, after time, like all the hormones that come after pregnancy do settle down. Like you've just given the placenta, a hormone factory has just come out of your body. There's so much going on. I gave myself the chance of a few weeks and I felt, and I felt awful, but I just wanted to see if I, if it would settle back down. And I always knew, look, I can increase my medication if I really need to. Um, I did get, at that time, because I was feeling so bad, I did have a couple of Xanax here and there. I was so riddled with anxiety that that, that kind of helped in a very short-term way. Um, but yeah, I suppose it's, it's important to note that you're still, life can still throw situations at you that will give you anxiety, but you're coming at it from probably a, a fuller cup is probably the best way to say it. Yeah, exactly. And look, the postnatal period, postpartum period for a lot of women is really tricky. And I, I always say as well, like nowadays we're, we're, we're the nuclear family. We're living, you know, ourselves, our partner, our little baby. Like there isn't the sense of community that there used to be. Like there, you know, and that's why we, I suppose, coffee mornings are good and it's good for women to get out and meet other women. But when I had my baby 15 years ago, none of my friends had babies. 
at the same time as me. So I was, you know, it was me and my baby. And unless, you know, you're really happy with that, and some people are, that can be a very lonesome time for people and that can make people spiral too. So it's important to build that little bit of community around you as well, that you can talk about these things and mm-hmm. postpartum anxiety and depression. And, you know, women have this thing about, I have this baby and I'm feeling riddled with anxiety and I might be having intrusive thoughts. That's really important that we acknowledge that. So intrusive thoughts about doing harm to the baby or something like that. And we need to recognize their intrusive thoughts. We need to talk about that so that they can get the help that they need. But they're almost afraid to go and seek help because they're like, oh my goodness, they're going to take the baby off me because they think I'm a basket case. But that is absolutely not what people want to do. People want mom to be with her baby because she knows that that's the, the, the best way for mom and baby to be. But we we need those extra supports and helps around us um, if we are struggling. And medication is a very valid option for postnatal depression and anxiety, you would say. It's yeah. not they have to just figure out themselves. No, they- it's an option, but certainly as well, talking about it. And also what's really important, and sometimes sometimes medication may be given in the absence of this, sleep is really, really important. And you know that sleep is a form of torture in in you know in some countries, right? Like the or like uh, people avoiding sleep, prisoners not being allowed to sleep is, is actually a form of torture, and there's a reason for that. When we don't sleep, we are not our best. We are exhausted. We are tired. Everything is going wrong. We hate ourselves. We hate everyone around us. And a lot of the time, for a lot of baby blues, um, and a lot of like that postpartum period, women are just absolutely exhausted. And if they could just get the support in that they need to help them with the kitchen, to help them with the laundry so they can actually sleep when they need to, that can actually really benefit them too, as well as if they need the the medication too. But it's really important that we we acknowledge that because women are just on autopilot after they've had babies and we're expected to still have food on the table for the rest of our kids or our family and have a snap back body and look amazing and and you know still you know be be with with a view to going back to work after having after you know after the postpartum after the maternity even that but I think we just need to be a little bit kinder to ourselves so important and on that note I mean my brother won't mind me mentioning this he's been on the podcast before um we we, we were talking about his anxiety around uh, he had a stammer growing up but he recently went on anti-anxiety or antidepressant well if, like we said it's the same thing but it's uh for him it was to solve the he wasn't anxious he was feeling really really depressed and he had uh he has a one-year-old and the sleep was so non-existent and he his the thoughts that were coming into his head the way he was speaking was so concerning and he went on medication um, and really once he once they were able to figure out the sleep and start sleeping m- relatively much better I mean there was a time when their little girl who was the most beautiful little bundle of joy like she was oh she was almost a year and she had never slept more than three hours in a row and I was like Daniel you can't see what I can see that all these thoughts are coming from a lack of sleep so yes consider medication but really nothing's going to fix that until you start to get your like sleep is the best medication you can get um, and then and I, it's why I launched my business was because I saw people coming in with like they, they were stressed out of the nines they weren't sleeping well and that's why I kind of developed my my range was because I saw this every day. And like if people, and I actually feel that if people in the Western world, if this hustle culture would just calm down a bit, and if we weren't encouraged to be doing 10 million things in one day, you know, if we were encouraged to nap during the day, if we had like a workplace thing where people could actually go for a little nap, like a siesta, and if we were encouraged to like lights out, phones down at like eight o'clock, then nine o'clock, everyone in bed, we'd be, we'd be so much happier. Sleep helps to prevent against obesity, depression, heart disease, 
weight, everything. It is just so good for our health. And I would put it top of any intervention if we could actually make sure people are getting enough rested and restorative sleep. If you have time, sorry, I know I've kept you a long time. Could we go through a couple of the questions that I got from listeners? Do you have time? Sure. Prozac dose has increased and I've killer reflux. Does it go or is that a stupid question? There's no stupid questions. It will go generally. It's just transient. It's the tummy upset that you get. Transient means it takes a little bit of time for your body to get used to it and then it settles. Take with food and that can really help. If you're on one medication for a long time, can it stop working for you? As in, can you become resistant to it? Yeah. Mm, it could be just like an elevation of symptoms. Like, I mean, I haven't really heard of, oh, that doesn't work for me anymore. It's kind of wearing off. It doesn't, antidepressants don't really, antidepressants, anti-anxieties don't really work like that. You may need to increase your dose because the symptoms might be more pronounced for a little while. Yes. But in terms of like, oh, that doesn't work for me anymore. It's not really a thing. Okay. What about taking anti-anxiety medicine and putting on lots of weight? Do you see that often? It would depend on the medication. There's lots of nuances there. Like, I mean, you could be eating more because you're a little bit more tired because the, the medication is making you feel a little bit tired and you're reaching for the biscuit tin that bit more or you're making unhealthy food choices. Um, I haven't heard that it causes lots of weight gain as such, unless it's causing like stimulating your appetite, which isn't really a thing. It could be there's so much to weight gain and there's so much to how that could be an issue. I couldn't just say it's definitely due to the drug, to be honest with you. How do I ask my doctor for meds? Because my anxiety is through the roof with the thoughts of asking. What's a simple way of bringing it up, even though you and I couldn't probably imagine feeling fearful of that, but some people do. Um, a, a way of saying it is I, um, my quality of life is being affected by the anxiety that I have. What's the most common side effect you see with medication? Um, something that's coming up a lot is uh, like a lower sex drive. Yeah. Yeah. And that's terrible. Like, I mean, that's isn't something that people like to feel a lower sex drive. So there can be a number of ways that it can happen. Your libido is reduced. Also, you can't achieve orgasm, even if you do have sex. And then with men, you know, they might have erectile dysfunction. They may not be able to achieve orgasm. So what can happen is, is what uh, what there are some ways to alleviate that you can maybe have sex before you take your tablet for the day. So okay. sex in the morning, take your tablet like an hour later, that can help because it's worn off from the day before. Um, you may want to consider reducing your medication dose as well. That can sometimes help too, or maybe switching meds. Um, but, you know, I think talking about it with your partner is really important. Um, reading some saucy books, I know particularly women, you know, we don't really like that heavy hit and hardcore porn, but a reading a saucy book can kind of get us in the mood. Talking to your partner introducing lubricants into the bedroom, introducing maybe some toys, some sexy underwear, like all of those things can really, really help to open up that conversation. Okay. Is it okay to have a few drinks when you're on this medication? It is okay to have, it is like, we don't advise, like it isn't necessarily like say that like stop alcohol when you're on the medication, but you should be mindful of the amount of alcohol that you're drinking when you're on the medication, because it can, alcohol is a CNS depressant in and of itself. Um, so it can make you feel worse the next day. I'm sure that's what we all know. That's what hangovers are. So I would advise to, you know, you can have your glass of wine or two, but in moderation. Okay. And when do you know you are ready to come off it? When you've been feeling really good for a considerable amount of time, I would say like, you know, maybe if you've been on it for a good six months to a year and you're feeling good and you feel like, okay, I've, I've done this now. I'm, you know, the outside stressors have reduced as well. And I feel like I kind of go without taking this. That would be maybe a good sign um, that you, you may want to uh, consider reducing down, but do so 
and be kind to yourself while you're doing it and do so only in conjunction with talking to your doctor and your pharmacist. It's really, really important. You get a really good step down program. If someone is trying to reduce you off medication that you've been on for like six months to a year and they're trying to reduce you off it over a period of a couple of months, it's not long enough. It's really, really important to note. Okay, Laura, thank you so much for all your expertise. Where can people find you if they want more of your brilliance? Uh, brilliant Scott um, fa- at Fabulous Pharmacist on Instagram and TikTok TikTok's wild TikTok although like, TikTok's just mad um, and then fabulous.com is my website as well okay I won't keep you any longer go on to your next meeting and thank you for all your expertise and for answering everything so well it was so, so good well. no problem lovely talking to you bye bye Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. The easiest way to access Owning It Real Time is to head to the link in the episode description or episode details, whatever you call them, show notes. You will find the link in there at the top. You can sign up right away for Owning It Real Time and access a full library of 10 situation-specific audio guides that will help you own your anxiety even more than you've ever done before.